1: I would love to uh, just say thanks to so many friends that are here, Uh, you know, I look around and Alvin Reed and Ryan Hutchison are uh, two good friends and uh, there's so many faces and names. Uh, I'd love to thank uh, Dr. Aiken and Dr. Lawless, but they're not here, so I I can't (laughs) thank them. Didn't know they weren't gonna be here, but I wanna thank them anyway. The text is Philippians, and the chapter is chapter 4. A pretty basic message, no exegetical expertise necessary here. It's very, very basic, very simple, and I hope that more than being revelatory of new information or new understanding of Scripture, though that might come, I think it might be even more a reminder of things that we need to know. Simple title, our mind, our joy. And essentially what I'm, what I'm saying there is uh, that which we focus on, that which, which we dwell on, that which is uh, consuming who we are, becomes how we respond. And our mind, our joy is definitely the context and the theme that runs through these verses in chapter 4 verses 8 through 14. So let's listen to the Word of God. I'll be reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. For those of you following in an inferior translation, you may follow along as well. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need. If I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am, I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. Allow me to take you back not only the 2,000 years to the text that we just had where the Apostle Paul was writing one of his prison letters to obviously the church at Philippi, to the church that he loved, to the church that he had a role in founding, to the church that, well, is called the joy book for a reason because some form of joy is found in there over a dozen times and in this particular text which takes us back two thousand years i now want us to just go back 25 years for many of you you would not have been born for some of you you may have been very young and in this particular time i was a pastor servant in st petersburg florida i am reticent to say that it was my favorite church because i was a pastor of three other churches and that would imply that I did not like those other churches as much as this church in St. Petersburg. It was my favorite church, by far, my favorite church. One one of the reasons I loved it was simply because it was in Pinellas County. It is in Pinellas County. Little slim peninsula with one side, Tampa Bay, the other side, the Gulf of Mexico. I love the environment, I love Florida, but I love the unchurched world that was there, the lostness that was there, and the opportunity to share the gospel on many different occasions. We were a poor and struggling family. I had three sons at the time who were eight, six, and three. Of course, now Art is 33 and he was the eight-year-old, the middle child of the, of the, of the three sons. And we had to find things to do that did not cost any money or cost a minimum. One time we found out that the Hands-On Museum in St. Petersburg was having a special display called the Dark Tunnel. The Dark Tunnel was very simple. It was a concept where you went in and all light was shut out and you had to find your way around. And there would come a point where you would have to not only feel with your hands, but you'd have to get on your knees because the ceiling would go down lower and lower. My boys were excited. The youngest son, Jess, who was three years old at the time was not allowed to go because he was too young. He didn't care. The, the older son, Sam, was able to go on his own and he took in because he met the height requirement. Middle son sitting here, your vice president for institutional advancement art, could only go under one condition, that a parent accompanied him. I looked to my wife. Nellie Jo is a godly submissive woman when I listened to her real carefully and she had indicated to me that I was to go in with Art. And in a way that godly submissive women only can do, she said, and under no circumstances are you to let him go. It's dark in there, he may get lost. Absolutely. So, Art and I started into the dark tunnel The door shut, it was literally, totally darkness. You could not see the hand in front of your face. And as we began to make our way through, I said, Art, hold my hand. And he held my left hand as I felt my way with my right hand. I would hit blockage after blockage and keep on moving until I found the opening. And finally, just as they had forewarned us, the ceiling began to lower. It was at that time I had to crawl. I told my middle son, hold on to my pants. Hold on to my pants leg, under no circumstances are you to let go. I love God, but I fear Nellie Jo, and I did not want to incur her wrath (laughs) when I came out. So we started crawling, Art had hold of my pants leg, and then he let go. I shouldn't say what my temper was like, but I will. I let go with a burst of temper. Hold on to my pants leg, son. Immediately, he grabs it again. We crawl a little farther. I feel the hand let go. This time I say, you don't know what's going to happen to you and you're not going to like it when we get on the other side of this and we get out because this is not going to be fun. You hold on to my legs, you understand me? This time he grabbed and I could feel the blood actually almost being cut off in my leg. He was holding so tightly. Finally, we made it to the end. The bright light shone as the door opened And much to my surprise, as I looked up, he who had already exited well before me was my middle son. I looked back and I saw this six, seven-year-old kid that had the fear of God in his face. And he cried and he ran. He said, mama, that man's going to hurt me. (laughs) You know, there are times that I just think joy is like this dark tunnel. I am not following the word of God. I am not in the word of God. I'm not soaking my mind with the word of God in prayer. And it's like this tunnel and I'm grasping and groping and I'm looking around for the elusive joy that is there for me all along. For years, as I preached through different books of the Bible and Philippians on more than one occasion, I would have in my mind's eye that I'm preaching to the businessman, the businesswoman, the the physician, the attorney, the blue-collar worker who is in the pew. But now I realize just as much so This passage is meant for the laborers in the church, the laborers in the mission field, the laborers like you. And as I began to focus upon this passage, I realized that this is a passage that we need. We need to grasp this. I don't have to tell you that there's a lot of hurting and there's a lot of pain in ministry and certainly there is persecution. That is so vividly real, and every time we turn on the news, to to be a Christian in many places means to die for the faith. And although it is not persecution, there is still pain in many ministers, pastors, staff members, missionaries. And we go to a church quite often with a utopian view, if I could use that word, that's probably not the best theological description, but we, 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 go, we go with this idealistic view that church, the mission field is going to be like this and then we hit the dark side of reality and we wonder where the joy is. This was a text, yeah, for a church in Philippi. Yeah, from an apostle who was in prison yeah, connected to a man named Epaphroditus. Yeah, all of that. But because the word of God transcends the centuries in time, it's for you and it's for me today. And as I go to this text, I, I, I'm going to give you five simple factors. I mean, some, some, sometimes when we do expositional we, 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 expositional messages, we will, we will just have our points and walk away. And I hope it's not going to be that rigid and I hope it's not going to be that formulaic. But... I want to talk about five factors that affect our mind and our joy. The first of these five is the dwelling factor. The dwelling factor. Pick up in verse eight, where Paul is beginning to conclude the letter and he says, finally brothers, and he begins to list some characteristics. Those characteristics are just, honorable, true, pure, lovely, commendable. Six factors in verses 8 and 9. And what does he say about these at the end of verse 8? He says, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. The word dwell is an imperative. It is a command. And it means literally to evaluate, to consider, to calculate, to focus, to absorb on these things. There might be this parallel somewhat in Proverbs 23, 7, as we think so we are. But here is Paul saying, I am in a Roman prison. I'm writing to a church in a Roman colony. Tough times are there and will be even more so. And let you understand what joy is. And so he says, dwell on these things. Absorb these things. Put into your mind that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, And you can begin to think what that means for you. First of all, for me, it means that if I'm not in the word of God daily, I am not following this mandate. Because that which I find that is always honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, any moral excellence is found in the word of God. Lifeway Research did a study a few years ago on spiritual maturation. And what I mean by that, certain characteristics of people, we kind of know exactly exactly. Spiritual maturity levels, we can just get rough ideas. And here was the number one characteristic of those who had spiritual growth, who had maturity, who had joy. The number one correlative characteristic was they were in the Word of God every day. They were studying the Word. If we're too busy to be in the Bible, we're too busy. And the word of God is that which we should dwell on because we can be guaranteed, we can be assured that the inerrant, infallible word of God will never lead us astray. When we soak our minds with the word of God, we are doing that which brings Christ joy. You know, we we, we Baptists have been pretty good historically at talking about regeneration. Love the whole concept of evangelism and sharing the gospel as you go. You will share the gospel. As you go, you will be a partner in the Great Commission. Yeah. We don't do so badly in the glorification and, and talking about when we see him face to face. But there have been times that we just don't talk about sanctification. Oh, it may be alluded to, and it may be a theological term, but regeneration, glorification. But what about this sanctification? Paul, if anything, was giving us a treatise here on sanctification. This is where you should be. This is what you should be thinking. This is what should be going into your mind. And think about all the alternatives that can go to our mind. Think about those things that are not true, that are not honorable, that are not just, that are not pure, that are not lovely that are not commendable, that do not have moral excellence. Think about those things that we can put into our mind that will still our joy, or perhaps we ourselves are the thieves to this particular joy. The dwelling factor. If we're to truly find joy in ministry, no matter what, we're to dwell on these things. And from my perspective, and I think the word of God would concur, the Bible is the number one source where we dwell on these things. Bible, prayer. Mike Harlan and I go to Brentwood Baptist, southern suburb of Nashville, and our pastor will often say, don't end the day until you've read a little piece of scripture. Now, He prefers to read bigger pieces, but don't let the day in until you have read scripture. Dwell on these things. The second factor after the dwelling factor is the encouragement factor. The encouragement factor. I was talking to an outsider. Actually, I was talking to my barber. I have this habit of, I hope it's a decent habit, of finding barbers who aren't Christians so I can develop a relationship with them and share Christ. I've actually seen a couple of them come to Christ. It's, it's dangerous to be witnessing when there's sharp scissors in someone's hands, but I think that it's just one of the methods that I use. Currently, I'm getting my hair cut by Maria. Uh, it's an expensive haircut, it's $11, and, uh, but I still go there. Sitting in the, in, the, in, the, in the chair with Maria a couple of days ago and just getting to know her, and uh, she was telling me about her husband. And she was telling she says, now, what do you do? And I, I said, I work at LifeWay. She says, what's a LifeWay? And uh, I tried to explain it to her. Uh, and I said, you know, that comes from John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. She said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. She says, that means you're religious. I said, not really. I'm, 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 a, I'm a Baptist. And, and, and. <laughs> And and she then she said, "Are you a Southern Baptist?" I really wanted to lie at that moment by the tone, <laughs> but I said, "Yes, yes, I am." Oh, you're the ones who are against everything. You're, 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 do y'all have anything that you're for? There is a time to stand. There is a time to say this is the word of God and we cannot cannot allow what's taking place to take place. I understand. But in ministry, there seems to be a disproportionate lot for the discouragement instead of the encouragement. I love what Paul says in verse 9. He says, do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. He wasn't boasting. He was just simply saying, you've seen me encourage. You see it in this letter. Then in verse 10, he talks about how they have encouraged. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that once again you renewed your care for me. You were in in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. He's talking about the appearance of Epaphroditus and bringing the offering to him and showing the concern that he had not been able to manifest to this time. So, as Paul talks about this joy, he tells us where to dwell on things, but he also says this as we encourage, as we build up, as we lift up, then we will understand the joy that is in Christ. Then we will understand that as we go, as we give, as we encourage, we will find that joy. Notice how Paul is weaving through the entire pericope here, much also the entire book of Philippians, words of encouragement, words of thanksgiving. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you once again renewed your care for me. Dwelling factor, encouragement factor. Third, the contentment factor. The contentment factor. Oh, we could park for days on verses 11 through 13. Paul is saying this very simply. My contentment does not depend upon circumstances. My dependence is always on Christ. He's saying this, I, I'm not saying bring the offering out of need. Thank you for it, but I'm not saying that. But I have learned to be content, he says, in whatever circumstances I am. Whether you're providing for me and I have plentiful or whether I have little. Verse 12, he gives us that picture of what contentment looks like. Is any and all circumstances any and all circumstances. I was on the phone last night at midnight with a pastor who had just gotten fired. Just listening to him. Praying with him. And here's how he concluded the telephone call. I rejoice in what Christ has done for me. I rejoice that I have such a wonderful family. These circumstances will not defeat me because I have Christ. Listen to what Paul says. I don't say this out of need. Thanks for the offering, but I don't say this out of need. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little, I know how to have a lot. In any and all these circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. And then there is the magnum opus I am able to do all things, not some things, not part things, through Him who strengthens me. Our joy in our churches. We'll find joyous times with church members, but sometimes they will stink. We'll find joy on the mission field, but sometimes it will be so incredibly painful. We'll find joy in our ministry vocation, but there won't always be good days. Paul said, I got the secret down. He says that uh, almost with a tongue in cheek 2,000 years old the secret is really no secret at all. The secret of being content. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I want to quickly go to the fourth and fifth factors and then kind of move back to some of the passages. The fourth of these factors is the abundance factor. The abundance factor. And basically what Paul is saying here is there will be times when I don't have much materially There will be times when I don't have money. There will be times when I will have emotional pain. There will be times when I have family struggles. But I've got a secret that is not a secret at all. I have abundance because I have Christ. And basically he's asking this question, what is your perspective? Is it one of plenty or is it one of not? Paul was saying, no matter what happens, my life is one of abundance because I have the joy of serving the master. I am going because he gives me strength. The last of these, the last of these five, the dwelling factor, the encouragement factor, the contentment factor, the abundance factor is the gratitude factor. Encouragement, gratitude, is, as I said earlier, is woven through here. Paul concludes this particular, at least in the English text, the paragraph in verse 14, by being gracious, by being thankful. You did well by sharing with me in my hardship. I had a financial need. You brought Epaphroditus. He got sick and you, you, you still sent him on and, and you, you, you were concerned about him, but I want to express my gratitude, he says, for what you have done. One of the things I've learned from my three sons is a simple act of a handwritten note. can take people aback in this internet, email, text message world, social media world, when they see that you take the time just to say thank you. One of the happiest people I know is someone that does five to six handwritten notes a day just to express his gratitude to people. I wish I was like him. Paul was one of gratitude. That is why the crescendo, the finale, the apex of this passage, of perhaps even the entirety of Philippians, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Wow. This little text... Didn't say anything about money. Didn't say anything about position. Didn't even say anything about things going our way. It just basically asks us the implicit question: What's your focus? If your focus is right, you'll know that joy that is there abundantly for you. I want to take you back a year ago, and then I'll conclude. A year ago. Uh, A man was sitting in a church in Southern California. I don't really know where. That's not that important for me to know. And he actually lived in Nashville, and I knew him many, many years ago. I had actually worked for him when I was a banker, and he was my boss. And he's sitting in a church, and someone mentions my name in the Sermon. They weren't preaching from 1st Thomas. They just mentioned my name as an application. And uh, he goes up to the pastor afterwards and he says, do you know Tom Rayner?" And the pastor said, I don't know him personally. Uh, no I of him. He said, do you know where he lives? He said, Nashville. And my friend Frank said, well, I'll be. Well, I can't say what Frank said to the pastor at that point, but he, he, he expressed exclamation that... Um, He and I lived in the same city. So he looked me up. We started spending some time together, reuniting. And finally, Frank just got to the bottom line of the way he always did it. He said, Tom, when we were at the bank, I told you that if I was going to hire you, that I knew you were one of those religious people and you couldn't say anything about religion. And uh, you responded and said, okay, but can I answer any questions that people ask me? I said, sure. He said, you trapped me because I had so many questions to ask you and I'd bring you in the office. He said, do you remember the first thing you asked, that I asked you? I said, oh yeah, Frank, I remember. You said, what the hell is Christianity? That was the beginning of my gospel presentation. He then went on to say, never embraced that. But can I come over to your house and talk about it?" He did on a Sunday afternoon and we sat. He heard the gospel and he received Christ after all these years. I want to tell you something folks. It's been a year since he accepted Christ. That man has gone through some tough times but I've never seen him so joyous. And I say, Frank, how how are you keeping your joy? What do you mean? I've got Jesus. Don't you ever read your Bible, Rainer? (laughs) And I got a call last night. Frank died. And I was talking to Judy, his wife. And uh, she said, Frank has been so joyous this past year because he discovered Jesus. There are times that I lose the joy of my salvation. There are times that I get ticked off at the world. There are times when I let circumstances define me instead of Christ abundantly abiding within me. It is a simple passage. Yes, for all the world to read, to hear, but it is a passage for those of us in the front lines and back lines of ministry to understand no matter what, as our mind and our whole selves embraces who Christ is, we will discover the fullness of his joy. Pray with me. So forgive me Lord when I am joyless or maybe I should say when I'm unhappy When I let circumstances define who I am and how I feel. Forgive me, Lord, when I expect that everything's just going to go perfectly in my life. And when a bump comes along or maybe even a major threat. That I think life's not fair. Forgive me, Lord. For not grasping. That because you dwell in me. I have nothing to fear. And I have total contentment lord i can do all things through you who strengthen me in jesus name Amen.
0: thank you again for listening to this chapel message from southeastern baptist theological seminary if you're thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level including doctoral studies we hope that you consider us if you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with christ we hope that you will consider financially supporting southeastern Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.